0: If you give us a station ID, they'll kill me if I, don't, if I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis, on KDVS 90.3. is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the show. About, uh, about once a month, we like to um, take on the backlog that accumulates on this program and uh, see if we can't uh, air the many interesting little nuggets, uh, little tidbits, little science articles, little historical bits that have been accumulating that we didn't get to. Today is that day. We may have a guest or two later in the program, and then again, we may not. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get going. On this date in history, that would be May 11th in 1910, Glacier National Park was established in Montana. On May 11th, 1927, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was founded in the United States. It was several years later, however, that the first of its famous Oscars was awarded. On this date in 1949, the State of Israel was admitted to the United Nations as its 59th member. And it was 25 years ago today, May 11th, 1981, that reggae singer Bob Marley died of cancer in Miami. In 1965, Marley formed the band The Wailers with Peter Tosh and Bunny Livingstone. They recorded such classics as No Woman, No Cry, I Shot the Sheriff, and Exodus. All right, our quips of the day are as follows. Uh, Well, we have two bookend quotes here about opposing sides of the political spectrum. Regarding conservatism, former President Woodrow Wilson once said, A conservative is a man who just sits and thinks. Mostly sits. Balancing that off, we have a quote from Mark Pierce about liberals, who said that liberals think you can reform an axe murderer. They don't want to kill anything. They want to change the Listerine label to read, rehabilitate the germs that cause bad breath. Our quote of the day comes from William F. Buckley, who said at one time, the Beatles are not merely awful. They're so unbelievably horrible, so appallingly unmusical, so dogmatically insensitive to the magic of the art that they qualify as the crowned heads of anti music. You know, uh, William F. Buckley was recently honored by uh, George Bush as one of the the grand old men of America of conservatism. Uh, As it turns out, his good uh, friend, oddly enough... John Kenneth Galbraith passed away. We'll be talking about that in our, in our third segment on today's program. But, uh, you know, segueing away from Mr. Buckley, his son, Christopher Buckley, evidently wrote a screenplay back in 1994, which, which was made into a movie, a movie which can currently be seen in theaters near you, titled Thank You for Smoking. We had a chance to take in that film on assignment for Radio Parallax, and we'll share our thoughts with you about it uh, also in segment We will leave it up to the reader to decide whether Mr. William F. Buckley was as accurate in his assessments of other things as he was about the Beatles. All right, we have some statistics of the day from the Washington Post. Apparently, 8 out of 10 car accidents involve drivers who are either drowsy or distracted by such activities as chatting on cell phones, eating, or applying makeup. That's according to a new government study. And speaking of Uncle Sam, because of the soaring price of zinc, which is the main component of copper-coated pennies, yes, the penny is no longer made of copper, it's mostly zinc, the government is now losing money on each penny it produces. The cost of the metals in a penny recently hit 0.8 cents. The government spends at least another 0.6 cents to mint each one-cent coin. It is the considered opinion of Radio Parallax that the penny's day is past, that we should now have the nickel as our smallest unit of change. Because if you think about how much time is spent across this vast land of ours getting your change correct to the exact penny, the savings would be enormous. And what can you buy with a penny anyway? And a statistic related to our recent controversy here, at least our recent uh, national demonstrations over the immigration matter. According to the Associated Press, smugglers who lead illegal Mexican immigrants across the border into the U.S. now charge an average of $1,200 to do so. As recently as 1994, the average was $300. In a future episode of this program, we're going to bring on to the show uh, someone who has uh, smuggled himself into the U.S. on at least three different occasions, uh, at least twice, as to my knowledge, in the trunk of a car coming through the San Ysidro-Tijuana Exchange. This will be interesting. All right, let's do some follow-up. We mentioned a scientific paper a couple months ago about how playing the didgeridoo, the Australian instrument, may help people with sleep apnea. This prompted a letter to New Scientist magazine that said, We are puzzled. It is usual in such trials to use placebos in control groups for the purposes of comparison. We have tried and failed to imagine what a placebo didgeridoo looks like, or for that matter, sounds like. In case you don't remember, this is what a real didgeridoo sounds like. And by way of follow-up, we, we would like to um, note that the San Francisco Chronicle had a nice write-up in, uh, in their obituary section two days ago on May 9th regarding, regarding the passing of Pem Farnsworth, the widow of the late Philo T. Farnsworth, about whom we, we talked on last week's show. She passed away at age 98 in Utah last week, and uh, Marianne Constantio, C-O-S-T-A-N-T-I-N-O-U, wrote uh, a very nice article about, um, about Mrs. Farnsworth that uh, we think is, is worthy of note. In the, the picture, in the Chronicle, apparently it was, it was Dateline 1977 um, by Joseph J. Rosenthal. It shows Mrs. Farnsworth standing next to the plaque on Green Street, which is like three blocks away from the, uh, the Channel 7 ABC affiliate uh, in San Francisco. Uh, this, was in, this was the workshop in uh, 1929, October 19th to be exact, wherein the first images were projected on television. We mentioned on the program a long time ago the issue of the controversy over the Baby Ruth candy bar, the origin of the name, and of course, uh, Babe Ruth has been back in the news, what with Barry Bonds' assault on uh, Ruth's number two place on the all-time baseball home run list. So we thought we would dig this out and clarify for you, dear listener, the real story, which according to Snopes.com is as follows. You probably read, in fact, uh, the claim of the Curtis Candy Company that the Baby Ruth bar was named after the child of President Grover Cleveland, Ruth Cleveland, and that uh, this this predates the era in which Babe Ruth became a famous baseball star. The facts are that the bar was uh, that the, the Baby Ruth candy bar was a huge success in 1921 when it was reintroduced as a log-shaped. Confection made with caramel and peanuts and covered with chocolate. A prior product with a pastry center had not sold well. Quoting Snopes, The claim that the Baby Ruth Bar was named after Ruth Cleveland is found dubious by many because Ruth Cleveland died of diphtheria in 1904, 17 years before the Babe Ruth Bar was first produced. Naming a candy bar after the long-dead daughter of a former president would certainly be a curious choice. Moreover, the notion that a candy bar named Baby Ruth should appear on the market just when a baseball player named Babe Ruth had suddenly become the most famous person in America is perceived as a rather striking coincidence. So yes, the real story, of course, is that the candy company has gotten away with uh, telling some tall tales since 1921. Babe Ruth had been famous uh, for years before that. In 1919, he was the standout pitcher for the Red Sox. And by the end of the 1920 baseball season, was famous throughout the nation. The Curtis Candy Company, and, and among its other, uh, uh, let's just say, dissemblings, uh, also said that, well, you know, part of the reason they named the bar after uh, Ruth Cleveland was that she'd made a visit to the candy company uh, years before when they were just getting started, and this largely influenced the company's founder to name the candy bar after her. Uh, in fact, Ruth Cleveland died of, at the age 12 in 1904, more than a decade before the founding of the candy factory. It is uh, not a big point to be sure but we just hate to see people getting away with whoppers for years and we like to uncover the real scoop which we think we've done here. Great website by the way, snopes.com. They clarify all sorts of urban legends and uh, and it's just a gold mine of information. Check it out. All right, it's time for the good, the bad and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, this week was a good week for space-age Muslims, after officials with the Malaysian space program unveiled a device that can determine the direction of Mecca even from orbit. Islamic astronauts can continue to pray during missions. The problem of how to kneel in zero gravity has yet to be solved. This week was judged a bad week for informed consent after a study revealed that nearly, well, we should say, as yet another study, revealed that nearly two-thirds of Americans age 18 to 24 are unable to locate Iraq on a map of the world. And it was an ugly week for academic distinction when it was announced by a high school in Oregon that uh, their graduating class would feature no fewer than 75 valedictorians. The honor, of course, is traditionally reserved for a single student, but the Westview High School has chosen to define valedictorian as any student with a 4.0 grade point average, which this year included one in seven seniors. You have to say, nice job, said Gene Evans of the Oregon Department of Education, but it does kind of dilute what the tradition of valedictorian has meant. And in a bonus item, we would note that it's a bad and kind of ugly week for British men after a new study revealed that a third of British women derive more satisfaction from household chores than from sex. And speaking of the Brits, one final bonus selection from this group might be that uh, Keith Richards is recovering nicely in, uh, in a hospital in New Zealand following his 16-foot fall from a coconut tree in Fiji, which he had climbed and apparently <laughs> in his state of mind, which was influenced by perhaps something stronger than a cocktail, to gather coconuts from the tree firsthand. As, uh, as to what led to this, apparently uh, Richards and uh, his fellow guitarist from the Stones, Ron Wood, had been, uh, <laughs> been putting away quite a few vodka and rums according to a Colorado couple who uh, were there. Anyway, from we have another item, actually, from the uh, Climbing Trees file, uh, which is as follows. Cheetah, the clever chimp who starred with Johnny Weissmuller and Maureen O'Sullivan in a dozen Tarzan movies, is not only still alive, he just celebrated his 74th birthday, which puts him in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's oldest chimpanzee. Cheetah debuted in Tarzan and His Mate in 1934, He's been retired since 1967 when he appeared alongside Rex Harrison in Dr. Doolittle. He's now diabetic, but still with all of his teeth. Cheetah lives in Palm Springs with other former showbiz simians. He spends his days painting and drinking the occasional Diet Coke. Reportedly, on his birthday, his caretakers gave him a sugar-free cake and a delegation of film buffs presented him with an International Comedy Film Festival of Pensacola Prize. This apparently was Cheetah's first award. Alright, from the good news file, we have the following. Apparently thanks to an $84 million World Bank project, fresh water is flowing back to the stricken Aral Sea, raising hopes of a return to its former days of glory. Uh, unfortunately, in the 1960s, uh, when the Aral Sea was the fourth biggest lake in the world, uh, the Soviet Union began diverting much of the water that fed it to irrigate nearby cotton fields. By, um, by 1990, the lake had split into two parts. By 1996, the smaller North Aral Sea, fed by the Syr-Darya River, had lost half its surface area and three-quarters of its volume. This is some good news for wildlife. The North Aral Sea is now considerably less salty. It's bringing back biodiversity. And uh, water is flowing over. the. There's a spillway from the the two sections uh, of the lake. And water is now flowing from the north to the south at a higher rate than before. And an item that isn't necessarily good, but it it is curious and may have a, a positive payoff someday. Scientists have taken to study um, a remarkable petroleum fly, which exists near Rancho La Brea in Los Angeles. This fly was first spotted more than a century ago. Uh, unlike most forms of life, the insects uh, thrive in natural petroleum seeps. Evidently, this fly, Heliomyia petrolei, feeds on insects that get stuck on the surface of oil in tar pools. The fly's larva, known as oil pool maggots, spend almost all their time submerged in the oil, surviving on oil-eating bacteria and organic debris. The fly has long been a source of interest for researchers who have been intrigued by its ability to survive amid toxic fumes that would kill off other species. Uh, The key into how they do it apparently lies with the microbes that live in the larva's gut. Given that their guts are full of asphalt, it seems remarkable that microbes survive at all, but they do so because they are solvent Tolerant and they're able to metabolize hydrocarbons. This, um, this, you know, this sort of research may yield some, um, uh, some productive findings. All right, let's do one more item, then take a break. I think on our second segment we're, we're going to hit uh, science and some political events uh, pretty hard. But uh, I would note here in closing that uh, as a boy I used to play in an earthquake fault. Uh, yeah, where I grew up in Fremont, the Hayward Fault. Passes right through the center of town, and there was a sinkhole, uh, an area where there was a, a profound dip in the terrain. Uh, you can actually see this dip by riding BART and getting off at the Fremont BART station. When you're in the BART station, you'll climb down into the parking lot, which was uh, carefully constructed inside the earthquake fault, right next to the hospital, city hall, and the police station. Last week, uh, down in Fremont, in the nearby uh, Fremont Central Park, the U.S. Geological Survey gathered to spotlight a project called the Hayward Fault Exposed. They apparently have dug dug down into the park to show where the soil layers meet. You can actually climb down a 15-foot pit. You can actually see where these two uh, plates are moving past one another. Said Heidi Stenner, a USGS uh, uh, paleoseismologist, we tell the public about the fault all the time, but it's not real to them. We want the public to see face-to-face what the fault looks like. The excavation and exhibit are open 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on weekends and by appointment, the exhibit runs through June 30th. You can bet that Radio Parallax is going to make one of those appointments and go down and check it out. While we're at it, we're also going to check out whether any of the condo owners which were, which uh, purchased um, homes basically right on the fault line are aware of the fact that um, there have been some rather large shakes going on right uh, right where they live uh, in the past. So we're going to go knock on a few doors and ask, uh, excuse me, when you bought this condo, did you know that it's actually perched on the edge of the Hayward earthquake fault stay tuned. We expect some interesting answers. This is a good time to take a break. You are listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll be right back.